What do you want out of life? <laughs> what kind of life do you want to live? You know, I, I would love for this morning for us to look at this very short passage in Scripture. And if you have a Bible, you could open to, to Luke chapter 4, the very end of Luke chapter 4. And this, this little passage that doesn't look like much. It looks like kind of just a, you know, a little bit of exposition. Like maybe Luke is just trying to get us from one story to the other. But, but we're going to zero in on it a little bit today. And we're going to reflect about the kind of man Jesus was. The kind of man Jesus is. And I would love for today this to be a call for all of us to live a life that is purposeful, a life where at the end of it, you know, there's a, there's a sports analogy. I, I, I uh, read a book one time and it was like, don't ever use sports analogies. I try really hard, but I just know very little about anything else. And so, um, but you know, the, you know the sports phrase that I want to leave it all on the field means at the end of the game, I don't want to say that I didn't try. Win, lose, draw, I want to say that that was my very best effort. And we're always a little uh, iffy when we use the word effort as it relates to our relationship with Jesus. And remember what Dallas Willard said, that God is opposed to, that faith is opposed to earning, not opposed to effort. And I would like to challenge us all, and I have a mirror fully right here, just preaching right back at myself here too. I would love to challenge us all to live a life where we get to the end of our life and we go, I gave everything I could for the mission of Jesus Christ. There's a, line, there's a couple of lines in the scripture, and I'll talk about this more as we go, but there's a couple of lines in the scriptures that, um, that are kind of like the things that I want to be true about me. I want to live my whole life so at the end of it, I hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I don't want to earn God's love, but because God has loved me so thoroughly, I really at the end want to go, man, you were a mess, but you were my kind of mess. A mess fully devoted to the work of the gospel. The other line that I just, it breaks my heart, it's so beautiful, is Paul is in prison and he's writing to his friends and he says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. Do you know what a drink offering was? A drink offering was that time when we're before the altar and we just take the best wine and we just pour it out in praise of God. God gave us, blessed be the Most High who gives us the fruit of the vine. And it's this grand declaration that he'll do it again. That it wasn't ours to begin with and that we can trust him to be our constant provider. And so Paul latching onto that, do you see what a waste that is? Do you hear Judas Iscariot going, that could have been sold and the money given to the poor? And Paul, at the end of his life, says, that's what my life is. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Nothing in of myself, but God has given me great gifts and I've just poured out my life for him. I desperately want to be at the end of my life. I want to be at the end of every day. I want to be at the end of every week. I want to be at the end of every sermon. I want to be at the end of every annual meeting and go, I, we poured ourselves out like a drink offering. Let me read you this short passage. And then we'll look at Jesus pouring himself out in service of others. And I hope that several times over this sermon, over this message, 
You bristle a little bit and go, hey, I think I need good boundaries so I don't burn out. You do, just like Jesus. The same boundaries Jesus had. Does that make sense? Are we for that, Christians like Christ? That we would think about our time and energy in the same way that Jesus thought about his time and energy. And I want to be super practical today. I want to talk about very basic things like the scarcity of energy in your life. You have so many calories to burn. I might take a little few too many of those. Um, you have so many calories and hours to burn tomorrow. And I really want you to think about how you use them. Jesus, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogue of Judea. A few things I want to look at today as we think about Jesus pouring himself out in this, in this just very short story, but man, a lot of stuff going on. First, I, I, we're going to look at this as the third challenge to Jesus' public ministry. This is the third challenge to, to Jesus' preaching ministry, Jesus' traveling and, and public ministry that Luke records. The first one being the temptation in the wilderness. Hey, would you just follow me? I'll give you all the stuff you're working so hard for anyway. Um, watch you throw yourself off. Prove that you're the son of God. Are you really the son of God? Then prove it. All of this just to undermine the, 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 the coming public ministry of Jesus. The second being the attempted murder in his hometown. Do you remember that? Where Jesus is just getting, beginning his public ministry and, and says, hey, guess what? Some of you are not going to be in the kingdom of heaven because your hearts ain't right. And some people far away, way over in Sidon, are going to be because their hearts are bent towards God. And they go, well, we have to murder him. That's a challenge to Jesus' public ministry. And this today, we're going to see another challenge, an, an attempt to stop Jesus from doing what he was called to do. And of all the challenges to Jesus' public ministry, I... This might be the most relatable to us. I, we are certainly not tempting Jesus like Satan did in the wilderness. We certainly don't want to silence people like they did, or silence Jesus like they did in Nazareth. But let's be honest, us, us church folk, we can tend towards, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about the people in the other pews. We can tend to be tempted to keep Jesus for ourselves to want Jesus to be our thing, not necessarily their thing. The next thing we'll see as we walk through the story is we'll see the main thrust of Jesus' teaching ministry. This is Jesus where each gospel has this, this version early in, in Jesus' ministry where we find out like what was it Jesus was actually saying? It? What was his preaching ministry about? Some of you, I've been your pastor for five years. You could probably mad lib one of my sermons. You know kind of like how I talk, what I say, what my focuses are. You know, like you could kind of look at a passage and go, yeah, I think I know where we're going. Thanks for still coming. If I'm in a rut, it's a rut about Jesus and I'll try to stay there as long as I possibly can. Um, but this is, this is the rut Jesus was in. This is Jesus' stump speech. And so, or this is the message. He called it the gospel. What would you say, just in your head, uh, what would you say was the main thrust of Jesus' preaching ministry? Something about forgiveness? Well, he talked about forgiveness, but not as much as you might think. Something about holy living righteousness well a little 
Mostly when he's calling people to really like change their behavior, it's the church folk he's talking to. It's the Pharisees he's talking to. Um, so what was it that Jesus went around for a few years in Galilee and Judea saying? Love is good, yeah. These, these themes like forgiveness, holiness, righteousness, they seem to be part of a bigger message that is the main thrust of the gospel that Jesus wants to proclaim. Keep that in your mind, and we'll talk about it here in a second. And last, as we go through this passage, we'll get to see how Jesus behaved. And I think this is so important. We all, I, I hope, even if it was just peer pressure, that if I would say, who wants to be more like Jesus, every hand would be in the air, right? Even if it was just like, I'm not going to be the only one not raising my hand. Um, yeah, we all want to be more like Jesus. But when we talk about being more like Jesus, maybe most of the time we think about like the attitudes of Jesus or the something about his temperament or, or his maybe connection with God or something, um, because we certainly know we're not going to be divine like Jesus, and we want to be mostly, we mean like to have an attitude like Jesus. And of course, that's super important, but there are times when we need to look at what Jesus actually did. Jesus did not just give us his teachings. We get to watch him live. And that is an amazing gift. One of the greatest gifts of our faith is that Jesus didn't write anything. We don't have like Jesus, the author of these are the teachings of Jesus. Rather, what we have is the fruit of him discipling men and women who wrote um, down not only what he said, but what he was doing while he said it. How wonderful it is that we not only get to hear Jesus teach, but we get to see him act. We get to see him behave. So as he says, follow me, we not only do what he says, but we do what he did. Look at the story where we've been. If, you'll, if you still have your Bible open, just, just kind of breeze through the, the previous section. Jesus has, um, is back in Capernaum, and he, he heals a bunch of people, and he casts out demons. And he, he goes to Simon's house, and, and Simon's mother-in-law has a high fever, and he heals her. And then in verse uh, 40, it says, Now the sun was setting. All those who, had any were, uh, who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. We don't have like the hourly schedule here. And there's some even disagreement among the commentators, which is always my favorite thing, um, about what exactly Luke means by the time here. But it either means Jesus was up all night, that this is what he did all night long. Or at least it means that very late into the night, Jesus was participating. Does this sound like an easy ministry? Think about the humanity of Jesus. Does this sound like, like was this a dinner party he was at? No. Healing, casting out demons, shutting them up. Late into the night, maybe all night. And then when day came, he went to a desolate place. Luke wants to highlight the great energy and gift that Jesus gave these people. 
You know, I do want to talk as practically as I can today. Some of the best advice I ever got was when I was young and lost and had no idea what I want to be when I grew up. And, and there was a youth pastor who I was helping out with a junior high group and, and he would meet with me for discipleship. And, and um, you know, we'd have Slurpees and, and walk his dogs and just hang out. And, and I was talking about, you know, life and hopes and dreams and whatever and just rambling as I do. Um, and, and he said, look, You'll, you have a dollar's worth of energy every day. You can spend it all at once. You can spend it like in four quarters. You can break it down to 10 dimes if you want. You can put a little energy, uh, you can put one penny's worth of energy a hundred different places, but you only have one dollar's worth of energy a day. Isn't that great advice? And I remember him saying, you can be in deficit spending for a little while, but eventually catches up with you, and you're going to have to realize that your energy is limited. And that was true in his humanity of Jesus as well. And I suppose that most of us, as it comes to where we're going to spend our energy, where we're going to spend our time, and time and energy, our best friends go together, I suppose that most of us fall into one of two sinful categories, naturally, at least in and of ourselves, when it comes to spending energy. We we either fall into that idol of work and burning ourselves out or of being lazy. You know, I, I wrote that line in my notes and then I thought, which one am I? And I go, I think I tend towards both those. <laughs> I think I can be an overworking, lazy person. Is that possible? I think <laughs> That's just a lack of discipline. You have to be wise how you spend your energy. You only have so much of it. You have to guard your heart. You have to not make work an idol. All of that is right. And, and, and I'm a, a little bit at a, at a, a loss for a, perspective, for, for a prescriptive way to teach this. It takes nuance and wisdom and, and daily decisions. But when I look at Jesus and, and I see his wisdom and I see his action, I also see him constantly pouring himself out in service. In the incarnation alone, you know, <clears throat> Christian theologians and philosophers talk about, was it necessary that Jesus become a man at all? You know, was, was this a, a necessary thing? And I go, man, I don't know. That's, that's past my education level. But I can tell you from our, from our perspective and from reading the story of Jesus that it cost him so much. That just to come and spend time in human flesh, that just to leave the beauty and the glory of heaven, just to put aside his divine privilege for a time, just to know for years and years that the end of his mission was the cross. What sacrifice, what an outpouring, and what a model for us about how we too might think about how we would spend the precious little time and energy that we have. Man, you look at what Jesus, the incarnation cost him. You look at the cross. You look at the garden and him, him sweating blood saying, God, is there another way? I guess the big idea is something like this. The God we serve is constantly participating in self-sacrificial service. Can I say that again? The God we serve is constantly participating in self-sacrificial service and then looks at us and says, follow me. And I am all for taking care of yourself. 
I'm all for getting a good night's sleep. I'm all for eating well. I'm all for getting exercise. I'm all for taking days off. I'm all for good vacations. You should laugh a ton. You should be with friends. But we were made to do good works that Jesus laid out for us. Such an uncomfortable message for me. Usually I'm a much more like philosophy and let you work it out kind of thing. But I see Jesus here pouring himself out in a way that I see so few of us. And I desperately want to encourage you away from burnout. And I have felt that. But I also desperately want to encourage you to live your life so that at the end you can say, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. I left it all on the field. I served Jesus with my heart and soul and strength and mind. I want us to look at the sacrificial service of Jesus. And then I want us to look at the sacrificial service of the people that Jesus trained, of Peter, of James, of John, of Paul. And I'll tell you why, because I think the church would have a better reputation if we were more people of sacrificial service. And I also look at the world and how broken it is, and I go, we got to call sin, sin. That's true. But the world might not need as much condemnation as it's getting, and it might need more sacrificial service. What if that was the, the DNA of not just our church, but the church? What if that's what people knew? See? That was amen. Mm-hmm. This COVID season has been such a time, such a season of like retreat hasn't it? It's been inward. And there's been a lot of good things about that. We have had more family dinners in the last 18 months. You know, we, we're in the season of life where we're just like raising athletes, you know? And so fortunately, we've got a couple of them through high school, but man, we're just four teams and four directions and you get that one and I'll get this one and, you know, cheer for the last half of this game so you can go and catch the first half of that. You know, dude, that's just the season we've been in. The last year, we have been at home in the evening. It has been fantastic. And if that's your experience too, I, I would like to challenge you today to say as we get back into spending more energy, as we go from the retreat of what our culture has, has been through in the last couple of years, man, let's be purposeful about how we spend that energy, how we spend that time. I think about, you know, Set Free Monterey Bay who's committed to to addressing human trafficking in our area. I think of Pass the Word ministry. We have people in our church that participate in all these things. I think of Pass the Word ministry that, deal, that helps homeless folks and, and provides meals and sermons and, and good stuff down um, uh, by Lake Elastero. I think of CASA, Children's Advocacy for Kids Going Through Foster Care. We have so many opportunities in our culture that we, by God's grace, we live in a culture where Christians are allowed to participate in this stuff. And as we go from retreating to, you know we're getting busier again, right? (laughs) That's not an option. We're humans. We're going to do that. And I would love for us to look at the sacrificial life of Jesus and say, I want to live like that. Not so he loves me, but because he loves me. And led in that example. So here's the big idea. Your time is precious and very limited. You with me so far? Your time is precious and very limited. And like all precious and limited commodities, 
It's valuable. And you can either hoard it or invest it. You can, and you get to invest it in whatever you want. And, you know, I don't know, can I speak frankly? I don't know if occasional exhaustion is an option. I imagine that no matter what boundaries you set, at some point in the next calendar year, you're going to go, oh, man, I'm, I'm beat. I'm wore out. That was a big day. This has been a busy season. That's probably going to happen. And I would just challenge you with when you get there, what will you have been doing that you spent all that energy on? Because I don't know if occasional exhaustion is an option, but, but what it is that you have done to pour yourself out is an option. You're following a Savior who stayed up all night healing, setting people free, and telling demons to shut up. So that's an option. That's on the table. And at the end of it, Jesus is worn out. He's poured out. This happens a lot to Jesus. We see Jesus tired. We see Jesus after long days of ministry pretty regularly. And maybe the bigger or better question than how do we avoid being poured out in service is where do we go for refreshment? And let me tell you something that I just, I just know, like testimony-wise, is um, it is good to take vacations. It is good to take days off, but that's not the secret to not burning out. The secret to not burning out is a deep relationship with Jesus. Because it's a rhythm. We see Jesus working hard, sacrificially, and we see him seek refreshment. And I think we, we live in a world that would tell us that we need to, to seek refreshment, but that refreshment comes in entertaining ourselves, in hobbies, and very rarely are we taught, you know how you're going to avoid burning out? You know how you're going to spend your energy sacrificially and still be okay? by returning over and over again to the living water that bubbles up from within as you connect deeply, it's going to be through meditation and prayer. It's going to be through silence and solitude. So we're just told that when morning came, Jesus left and sought out a desolate place. Let's, let's look, let's watch, uh, observe Jesus' discipline of the desolate place. And, and I would encourage you to just think about where is it that you go when you're poured out? When you're tired, what is it that you run to? You might not have to, uh, to, to uh, know me for very long before you go, yeah, food's a struggle there. When I'm tired, when I'm worn out, that uh, sports is a place I go, that guitar's a place I go. I don't think I've ever wasted a minute on sports and, and music. I love them. They fill me up. It's great. But I can tell you that sports and music are not the things that stop me from burning out but rather it's been a deep development of learning how to be in the desolate place. Learning the discipline of being alone with God. In the Old Testament, it's called Sabbath, right? There's, there's Sabbath that is provided for the people, and Sabbath is not taking a day off. Sabbath is learning to rely on God, giving up work for a day so you can remember that God is your provider. All the way back in Eden, do you remember the first day humans are alive? What do we do? We like, we're like, uh, come around midday six, and then the first thing we do is take a day off with God so that we can learn to be in relationship with God. You must learn to be in relationship with God, not to say you're a Christian, not to be about the work of Bible study so that you know more than the person next to you, but deep, intimate relationship with God. And this only happens in the desolate place. You think of the psalmist over and over saying, 
Oh God, you are my shelter. You are my hiding place. You are the rock. Man, where do you go? Just in your mind, in, in your brain right now. Think, I'm tired. I had a long day. Where is it that I turn? Many people turn to drink. Many people turn to, to friendships and carousing. Many people turn to hobbies. It's disappearing into the wood shop or the garage or, or the kitchen or wherever it is you might participate in your hobby. But have you developed the Christian discipline of retreating to intimacy with Jesus? I worry that we've misunderstood the fourth commandment to say, remember the Sabbath to keep it unproductive. That's not what it says. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, separate. We are to rest from work, but we are to intentionally connect with God. And this is what we see Jesus doing. And we need to not only listen to what Jesus says, but we need to do what he does. After a day of just being poured out in service, he retreats to a desolate place. And again, this should be a season, a rhythm. It's a seasonal thing. The, the, the Jews three times a year left, let the farm sit and go to a great party in, uh, on vacation in the, um, in the temple in Jerusalem. There should be a weekly rhythm, that seventh day. That's why we're here today. You know, many times I want to say like, are you here to learn something about God? Most of you are mature Christians. You're not here to learn something about God. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything that you're going to go, oh my gosh, I had never heard that before. You're here to pour this out like a drink offering. You're here to say this is going to be just non-productive. Get together with my Christian friends and worship God. Learn to rely on him. It should be a daily rhythm. In Israel, multiple times a day, they were to stop and say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. It's supposed to be a rhythm of relationship. And I'm just wondering, I know you're busy and I know you're tired. We all are. It's hard. It's the, it's the brutal part of modern day life. But in your busy and tired, have you developed the skill, the discipline of a rhythm of relationship with Jesus? Because that's what's going to fill you up. I can plainly say it. The point of rest should be connection with God. Too many times we, we, we waste days off. We waste rest. There's value in recreation. There's value in hobbies and art, music and sports. But we were here to be in a tight, intimate relationship with God. And in him, there is meaning and rest. That's why Jesus says, come to me, follow me, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and the burden is light. So the goal is not to hoard our energy. The goal is learn how to retreat, to connect, to rely on the never-ending living water bubbling up from inside. When Mark records this story, he makes it clear that Jesus went out to the desolate place to pray. But there's a lot more going on here than just, uh, you know, Jesus getting on his knees and saying, you know, good morning, God. Now, the desolate place is a place of spiritual disciplines. And of all the things, and I, just, I talk about spiritual disciplines a lot because they've changed my life so completely. Um, I have a little bit of a messianic complex, right? I think, oh, everybody needs me. Nobody needs me. I know. I know it here. I'm working on knowing it here. Help me. Pray for me as I grow. But it has been me learning to develop the spiritual disciplines of silence. 
of solitude, of meditation, of deep prayer. These are the things that have saved my life. These are the things that have kept me from burnout and have encouraged me to live some semblance of the Christian life I've been called to. Have you learned the spiritual discipline of solitude? Solitude is not this... I'm, I'm, I'm ripping off uh, um, Richard Foster a lot right now. Solitude is not learning to be alone. Solitude is learning to be alone with God. Have you learned how to be alone for a long time with God? Do you want refreshment? Are you worried about burning out? Is sin and temptation nipping at your heels and you don't know if you have the energy to say no anymore? Learn to be alone with God. Have you learned the discipline of silence? Silence is not an emptying, but silence is a filling, a waiting, a being still and knowing. You know, I'm, I, I told one of my friends recently, I read an article about adult ADD, and I was like, I think I have, I think I have ADD. And my friend was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, do I, is that right? So I have no idea, but the, the, the signs are there. You know, like uh, you can tell what kind of tree by the fruit, and that's a lot of that fruit dropping. And it's been so important for me to learn to focus on God, to learn silence and solitude so that I can be refreshed. I love play around a golf. I love spending, I love date night. I love spending time with my family. I love going on vacation. But the thing that has refreshed me like nothing else has been learning the discipline of silence and solitude. Have you learned how to be alone with God? Because we not only need to know what Jesus said, we need to watch what he did. And after a day of just being poured out like a drink offering, he rushes to a desolate place. Have you figured out how to do that? And this doesn't happen while we're driving or while we're, you know, playing something. I hear that a lot, like, oh, my, my favorite time of prayer is when I'm driving or when I'm, you know, on a bike ride or whatever. Bike ride, maybe, maybe walking around in a forest, but, and, and that is fantastic. Like, that is great. Pray without ceasing. Pray everywhere you go. But this is different. This is alone and quiet in a desolate place. And the most practical wisdom I could give you about learning the Christian life is to follow Jesus in the discipline of the desolate place. This holy rhythm of being poured out in service and then retreating to intimacy with God. Without one, it's hard to do the other. Maybe we are not great at pouring ourselves out in service because we're not great at being filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe it is hard for us to love, to forgive, to serve, to look at the, the least of these and say, I'm going to just waste my life helping these people because we haven't figured out how to get to that desolate place and really be filled. We're looking for our work to fill us. Have you lived long enough to understand that work is not where the filling comes from? It's the mission. It's, it's the, like buying an electric car. If you buy an electric car and it's sitting in the driveway and you go, but if I go and drive it, I'll spend all the energy and then I won't have any of the energy. Well, you just have to know where to recharge it, right? This is very important. 
Say, hey, these are the boundaries that everybody's always talking about. If I get 150 miles on this thing, I can't drive it 155. But I need to drive it. I need to learn how to get it back home where it can charge. And you're that way. You need to spend your energy on the mission of the gospel. And you need to learn how to figure out how to get back and recharge. And that's all about the desolate place. So, so now let's look just really briefly at people desiring to keep Jesus. And we won't spend much time here. But this language feels a little soft in English. But the story Luke is, is telling uh, these folks, um, is, or the story Luke is telling is that these folks really liked all the miracles of Jesus, but they were not that concerned with Jesus being the savior of the next town over, much less of the whole world. So Jesus comes to Capernaum. He's been to Nazareth. And Nazareth was like, you're not doing any miracles. You're challenging us with your words. We're going to kill you. So he goes to Capernaum. And in Capernaum, he does a second round of miraculous healing. And the people go, we like you. You can stay. In fact, we insist that you stay here. Do you see Luke giving you those two reactions? Like Jesus challenged us. We're going to kill him. Or we like Jesus. He's just for us. Do you see the sin in both those? They had found their Savior and wanted to keep it that way. And, you know, it's worth saying, church folks, that, that I see that propensity in us too. Maybe we don't serve the lost, serve the broken people like Jesus because we really like Jesus being ours and are just kind of less concerned with him being theirs. How do we grow a heart for Christ for the least of these? How do we grow a heart? This is not even the least of these, just the other, other cities. How do we grow a heart like Jesus? It has a lot to do with the discipline of the desolate place. What does Jesus say then? And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to God in other towns as well, for this was the purpose I was sent. And he, uh, and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Man, here is so important. We get to hear who Jesus' mission is to and what Jesus' mission is. And we should pay attention to that and just make that our mission too. If we are Christians, if Jesus says, follow me, and we go, okay, I'll follow, I'll follow you, Jesus, then we need, to know, we need to know what Jesus' mission was and who it was to, and then we should just do that same thing. So Jesus says, my mission is to other towns. Not just the places where he was admired, you know, quite frankly, if it was just me after Nazareth, I would have hung out in Capernaum a little while. Like the last town tried to kill me. You guys want me to stay here forever. I'll just stay here for a while. But no, Jesus had this understanding that his mission was global, that it was at least to the next town over. Jesus is not motivated by the adulation of the crowd. He's not motivated by the safety and the comfort of Capernaum. He's not uh, motivated by the success of the ministry. He is motivated by the mission that his father sent him to do. How practical is that? Can I just ask you, what motivates you as you get up tomorrow? You're motivated by adulation of other people? You want to look good? You're motivated by provision and, 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 and what you, you know, want to accomplish financially in your life? You, you're motivated by um, what the neighbors are up to? Is there pressure coming in from other people that motivates you? Or are you just motivated by the same thing that Jesus was motivated by? He just wants to do the will of his Father. 
What if we weren't driven by the approval of others, but rather served others because we were on mission? What if vocation was not the big deal um, and and mission was the thing that mattered? Would our work uh, be redefined as something we do unto the Lord? Wouldn't that be amazing? What if our station in life wasn't our identity, but what if we primarily saw ourselves not by our zip code or by our last name, but as members of God's family, it is your mission that matters. The rest is just context. Can I say that again? It is your mission that matters. You've got to figure out what life's about. You've got to figure out what is it that I'm trying to do as I wake up tomorrow because you have precious little time and you have precious little energy and there is a crowd coming from all over telling you how they think you should spend that precious little time and precious little energy and you need to figure out what mission you're on. Jesus said his mission was to proclaim the kingdom of God. Isn't that interesting? You read John, the baptizer, and he called people to a baptism of, starts with an R, rhymes with repentance. <laughs> repentance, yes. And there's repentance as part of entrance into the kingdom of God, for sure. But the message, but I would like to say primarily John is preaching that message to Israel. Jesus is taking this message to places that feel very far from God, or at least very far from the temple, to people who feel very far from God. And his message is not just you need to get your act together. His message is, God, I know what you've heard, but God is close to you. And if you would just repent and come, you could have an intimate relationship with God. Is that the message of the church in the world's eyes? I wish, I hope. Jesus has not asked us to participate in the mission of condemnation. He has asked us to be on mission with him, making sure everybody on the planet knows that although I know what you've heard and I know what it feels like, but God's not far away. And if you would just turn, you too could have a place in the kingdom of God. Repentance wasn't the message. Repentance was the way. It was the path. Many times the message of the church to the culture is repent. And that's so close to right. But the message of Jesus was that God is near to you. What if that was our message? God is near. How do I meet him? Oh, you repent. You turn. You live differently. What if we reflected Jesus just a a little more clearly and our message to the culture was that God is close to you. You can experience the joy of God's presence. And what if our actions backed up those words? Our mission the mission that we should be on is a little bit hard to define because it's very relational. It's like asking, what's it mean to be a good brother? What's it mean to be a good wife? Or what's it mean to be a good teacher? It's relational. Every situation is a little different. But certainly, we're given some pretty good clues in the New Testament, things like reconciliation, that God has called us to join him on the ministry of reconciliation. Isn't that profound? 
that the mission is to follow Jesus, to be like Jesus, to be with him and be sent out from him. The, the historical church has given us one holy, universal, and sent as our mission. However, we could have good discussions and say, what is the best way to define the mission of the church? But more profoundly today, I say, however we define that, is that your mission? Is that why you're getting up tomorrow? Is that what you are going to pour yourself out for when you get to the end and go, I got to get to the desolate place. I've had a really long day. What is it going to be that you've done to pour yourself out? Is it going to be some mission that the crowd told you to have, or is it going to be the same mission Jesus has called you to? And it's not station in life most of the time, right? I, when you think about call, you think about, oh, like a call to ministry. Grant's talking about we all need to, to go to Bible college and be pastors. No, I know lots of pastors that have a great vocation, calling, but they're not on mission for Jesus. Wherever you are, Whatever you are doing, the question is, what is your mission? The rest is just context. We need Christians on mission, the same mission that Jesus is on as you know, teachers and lawyers and contractors and, and builders and everything else. We have to learn the, the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines of deep connection with Jesus so that we can stop burning ourselves out with our time and energy for temporary things and instead pour ourselves out for the sake of the mission of the gospel. I don't think the problem is that Christians work too hard or, or, or not enough. I think the, the problem is that Christians work on, for, spend most of their energy on things that are just temporary, things that aren't eternal. Like, <laughs> like money, like stuff, like there's all kinds of things, yeah. The things that don't take us to heaven, that don't go with us to heaven. Like getting better at playing the guitar. Practically, how do we order our lives? You're probably going to pour yourself out this week. I imagine at some point this week you'll be tired. What will it be that you've done in pouring yourself out? What's it going to be for? If your schedule was a blank slate, the top of the page were just the words, on mission with Jesus. How would that time be filled? What would your approach to work be? Do you see why this is so valuable? Because then the office is not just the place where you go waste time, but the office is the context for your mission on uh, of the reconciliation of all things. Reconciliation of all things. That when you go hang out with your friends, it's not just a time to recharge and hope that these goofballs say things that build you up, but rather it's an opportunity to be in a group, a context, a group of people so you can be on mission for Jesus. To whom are you called? Who is it that God has said you? This is the context for your mission. We need to switch from station or vocation to mission. In what ways does your current schedule line up with your mission? Do your current attitudes line up with your mission? Hebrews 12 um, talks about running the race that we're set out to run, and it says, look, there are going to be some things that encumber us and then sin that clings so closely. Are there things that are encumbering you that you need to do away with? 
Is there sin that is clinging so closely that needs to be put to death? Here's the simple call for today. Evaluate your life. Jesus was willing to pour himself out. Jesus had terrible boundaries. (laughs) Jesus was willing to pour himself out, to spend his energy serving, but he knew how to have the rhythm of deep connection with the Father. Have you learned the disciplines of deep connection with the Father and is the goal of your life the mission of the gospel?